At Combank Health, we understand that health professionals set up a practice to look after patients, not take care of practice admin. That's why our new Smart Health system lets you streamline your payments by handling rebates and reporting, giving you more time for your patients, yourself and the ones you love. Search Combank Smart Health to find out more. Applications subject to conditions, fees, charges and lending criteria. Commonwealth Bank of Australia, ABN 4812324 and Australian Credit Licence 234945. Hey, welcome to the Medicubes podcast, where we bring you all that's good, exciting and sometimes challenging in primary health care. I'm Chris Spee, joined by my good friends Kim Pointer and Rivka Hagen. Together we bring a wealth of experience and passion, as well as being in the thick of what's going on in our industry. We used to have a laugh, debrief and chat about all the big issues and what was happening in our own professional worlds and invite you to join us in this conversation. So join us and our invited guests every month to bring you a lighthearted take on the latest, greatest and controversial issues and a few pearls of wisdom along the way. In the spirit of reconciliation, we acknowledge the traditional custodians of the lands on which we meet and pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. A hearty welcome from Birupai country. And uh, Rivka Hagen here. I'm meeting you from Jajawurrung country. And a big hello from Turrbal and Jagara country. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to this episode of Medicubes. We're really excited to be back. Got the gang back together. Riv, how are you today? Oh, a little bit cooler than I was back in Cairns, but doing really well. Hi, George. Hi, Chris. And hi, Kim. <laughs> and we've got the lovely Kim with us. Kim, how are you? Where have you been travelling to lately? Oh, I have been everywhere, man. I've been in New Zealand and now I'm back into lovely Birupai country. So I'm up in 21 degrees, beautiful tropical paradise. Thanks for asking, Chris. What about you? I'm in Brizzy where it's decided to rain and I live in a Queenslander with a tin roof. So for anyone who gets uh, noise throughout this recording, it is because there's a Queenslander tin roof getting poured on at the moment. So very Queensland to be able to say that at the top of a podcast. Hey, really excited. We've got an amazing guest with us today. First ever podcast guest, George Satoris. George, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I feel special in the first one. So here I am. Thank you for having me. I don't think George needs an introduction. One of the most well-known people in our industry, but I think it's really important just to say, George has been doing this for 15 years. Doesn't look a day over 10 years that he has been doing this. Specializing in workplace relations, helping thousands of practices all around Australia. George founded his own company, Health Industry Employment Services and has a real passion for working closely with medical, dental, and allied health practices from all around the country to reduce risk. George, is that formal enough an introduction for you there? Well, I'm not used to that coming from you, Chris, but yeah, I think that's a, <laughs> a very good snapshot of a, a bit of my history. And I think I'm getting that facial beard now, so I'm looking a little bit more than older than 15 years experience in the industry. So we're getting there. And mate, how did you end up doing this? How did you end up running your own company, specializing in workplace relations? I know. So, well, I think it all started a, a very long time ago. Back, I was actually working for the AMA up in Queensland and I was studying full time and I was like, you know what? I love getting practical experience. So I ended up applying for a job for the AMA, managed to secure it. I worked full time and studied full time for a good three and a half to, to four years. But after, you know, 10 amazing years in that workplace, it just got to a point where I noticed there was a big gap in the market of practices not getting great proactive support. So that's where effectively I started HIS quite a few years ago now. And here I am assisting practices nationally and, and obviously getting to work with amazing people like you all today. So it's very exciting to be doing what we do in the health industry. 
George, what have been some of the HR trends you've seen happening in the last couple of years? Rivka, you're starting with a, a fully loaded one there for me. Only <laughs> <laughs> uh, way to go, George. <laughs> well, look, I think it's been the easiest last couple of years for all of us, hasn't it? Smooth sailing, <laughs> that's, that's what I'm thinking. To laugh. Yeah. <laughs> look, we've spent such a long time in, in the health industry and, and, and doing what we do, but I have to admit, the last couple of years have been like no other. They've been very stressful. They've pressured a lot of practices, a lot of individuals, so... We've on the other side been at the forefront where we've actually been able to help practices on a day-to-day -day basis with a lot of those key issues. But I'd have to say one of the biggest issues we have seen have been linked back to stress, burnout, just fatigue management. I really feel that's probably definitely up there. And I think we probably all have never seen the amount of burnout in managers too. Like I, I think it's been a massive, and practitioners, like we've seen a lot of people leave the industry and do it because it's been increasingly difficult. Yeah, this has been just so noticeable, hasn't it? Especially in the last sort of 12 to, to 15 months, the rate of turnover of staff in primary care is absolutely enormous. And we see through our social media channels that disrespect and the pain being experienced by primary care staff within their practices. And I guess I'm, I'm curious to hear from you too, uh, what you're sort of seeing in that more formal space of the support and the advisory services that you provide to practices, how does that translate to what you're seeing on the ground? Yeah, really good question. And I think a lot of these stress and issues have stemmed from some form of operational or relationship-based concern because it's such a shame to see all the negative side and issues we do because there's so many positive ones. So it makes you reflect and look at when we give advice or support, you know, it's very easy to think of all the negative issues we see. So I would have to say some of the key things where we see a lot of practices who have nice operational systems in place and they're able to not have the pressure of big recruitment or retention issues. They generally have nice healthy culture. But on the other side, the spike of work cover claims as a result of that stress and burnout has been massive. Like we have handled probably a claim or two every month in stress or burnout related work cover issues, which have started off with, you know, managers and, and other staff not having that support, having disputes with owners or other staff, and obviously it exacerbates or creates some form of injury or illness to these staff. So that, that's been a big spike. And, and as I said, it's really only been since the commencement of COVID to now, are we really seeing it because people are just tired. I think being tired and just over it and not feeling like they have other options has been a big reason to, to a lot of those disputes we've seen. So yeah, that's, that's a big point. But what measures can they put in place? I personally feel that practices need to just take a second or practice managers also need to take a second just to think about what they have control over and, and understand what some of their biggest issues are. I know it's really easy for me to, to say it, but there's a lot of positive things that can be done by just simply knowing what you have control over knowing what your issues are, if it's a difficult staff member. I think we've found a lot of practices feel like they've got no option at the moment and they're just accepting bad behavior or accepting things in their workplaces that, you know, if there weren't recruitment issues, that they would otherwise just look at performance managing or dismiss. And I'm not sure if everyone else has seen that, but I, I find that we're just tolerating a lot of things we otherwise wouldn't in this current environment. Yeah, what, look, what I picked up too with what you said before is that your sense that for workplaces that seem to have stronger culture in place, so the organisational space 
feels a, a bit more comfortable, that that's quite a protective factor in being able to deal with the inevitable difficulties that come along from time to time. Can you say a little bit more about that? 100%. And I personally think this comes back to one of my favourite A words, and I always say it, it's, it's accountability. And I think it comes back to the owners, the managers and everyone else creating a, first of all, a safe place, but they're, they're making all their staff, anyone who's within that facility accountable, if it's accountable for their job, accountable to how they treat each other, and just really having that sort of level of professionalism and, and support. But we spend 90 to 95% of our day advising practices on just how to create accountability. And I personally am a true believer that when you have that mutual respect, when your staff, your owners and managers, when everyone's accountable for their roles, that's a huge success to, to positive culture. And, and the reason why we see some clinics are performing better than others because it's, it's, a, it's a big point. So George, I'm just curious from the stress and burnout lens on, on this yeah. particular piece of accountability, do you see that the organisation has some accountability in reducing stress and burnout? Or do you just see that as the individual um, workforce accountability? Yeah, look, and I, I have to say it starts, it starts from the top, Kim. It really does seeing those owners or, you know, the higher sort of individuals that are in control being accountable and also invested and engaged in the business, in the staff, in the people. It starts there. And ultimately a big reason from the individual side where we've seen a lot of the stress and burnout and more so in managers, it's where they haven't been supported by the owners. And when something yeah. has gone wrong in a very stressful situation or scenario, and when the owners then go back to those managers and say, hey, well, why have you done this? Or what's gone wrong here? That's where we've seen a lot of the, you know, the burnout come from. So George, can I ask you, what would be some of your key tips in actually creating the accountability that you're referring to? So my key tips are obviously talking from the, the HR lens on, I have to. I think just slowing down is the first thing. And I feel like there'll be a lot of listeners thinking about, well, I'm, I'm in a position I don't know where to start. I think just just slow down. Just understand what your your biggest issues are. Know exactly what you have control over. You know, we, we look at employment foundations and systems to actually help managers be more efficient. So if you've got a practice where staff aren't accountable or you are having big cultural issues, my best bit of advice I can give today is just don't be afraid to deal with that tricky thing you have to because one door will close and another one always opens. And I always try to use that analogy when I'm, when I'm speaking to our clients to say, look, it's gonna be the hardest thing you do is to deal with this issue. But once you do, another one will always open up and provide sort of that, that support. So don't be afraid to deal with your big issues you have at hand because they're gonna stick around and, and get worse. And make sure you have systems and processes that create accountability if that's operational employment-based. And George, we've heard so many horror stories over the last two years about things going on. Give us a positive story. Tell us something awesome you've seen somewhere that you think would just be, you know, rock everyone's world. What's, what's one winning story you've got? Ooh, where do we begin? You know, there's a few little ones that I don't, you know, we do a lot of training in clinics yeah. and there's nothing more rewarding than going into practices that just have a nice hum and buzz about them. You know, we, we work with, I love that you know, feeling. Uh, I know we work with both GP and, and specialist practices. And there's this amazing specialist practice that is really does nothing different than any other clinic, but 
They've just had staff there. I was there, we're doing a training and they had someone who had been there for 48 years. And I was like, so excited just to say, well, how do you have uh, like 48 years? I, I don't, I wasn't even around back then. It's just like, <laughs> imagine yeah. that long service leave calculation what was going through yeah. my head. <laughs> I was about to say, I hope they've been occurring long service leave correctly. There's going to be a little surprise yeah. on the balance sheet one day. Yeah, but the cool thing about this story, and then when we got going and they, they had a cake because this lady was retiring, it was part, backed off from my training because it was all of that. And the average length of time for this practice was like 16 years was the sort of the shortest everyone's been there and the retention rates were good. And I asked the manager and I'm like, what, what are you doing? We're working with so many practices that are struggling with recruitment, retention. Like, what, what are you doing so different? And the manager just responded back and she said, George, we just have the greatest respect. We treat all of each other like we're one big family and we are genuinely just compassionate and caring. And I said, and that starts from our, our principle. And I was like, Oh, and it's such a simple thing, but that was probably my big, oh, that's so like, that, the that's top, what I love to hear. Because, saying, yeah. yeah. And it doesn't matter about their HR compliance or practices or processes because what they do on a day-to-day process just shows and you can feel it when you walk into the clinic. It's kind of like the difference between saying what you do and doing what you do, isn't it? Because there would be a practice around that says we don't really care about our staff or you know, we don't really care about our patients. Nobody says that. But what's actually evident on the ground and what you actually experience within an organisation, that's the truth of the matter, isn't it? And there can be just such a disconnect there. Walk the walk. We, we'll always say to practices, don't start a process or don't commence something unless you're going to see it through and, and be true to your word because what happens when you start something and, and don't follow through it it just makes things a lot more worse than where you actually were in the beginning oh well that's so, really good advice oh, i feel like that was a big one to i know i was like oh my god with this shade uh, you know i think it's i think everyone's at that sort of point for the last two years has been a pretty pretty rough time but i'm, I'm so pleased to hear that some practices doing some awesome stuff uh, every time i talk to a practice they've got little ideas and lots of little ideas can go a long way to, to shifting the needle to practice but hey george you know me i couldn't i couldn't chat to you without having some curly technical question less warm fuzzies the accountant of me loves some some hard detail and this this boot test i love a good pair of shoes but the boot test is not that this better off overall test with the award and all those changes i'm going to be honest and say i think i get it but i don't really get it can you help me understand what is this better off overall test that seems to be uh confusing our world just when we needed something else in our lives to to make things more complicated Chris, no, I think that's a really good question. And I feel that the, the Fair Work Commission has been spending a lot of time and energy in just trying to educate everyone as to what their obligations are. So the, the basic concept of a, a boot starts off by understanding if you are award compliant, i.e. that's paying, you know, the minimum rate of pay plus all your loadings, allowances, entitlements and provisions under the awards or if you've entered into an agreement with your staff member whereby you may not be paying leave loading, overtime penalty rates or, or certain provisions. So mm -hmm. the boot test starts off and I'll give you a really practical example of this. So a level three support service employee under the HPSS award is currently for a permanent or full-timer is 24.47 an hour. So if you were to pay your staff member, say 26.47, which is $2 above the award rate, that roughly equates to about say $4,000 above the award per annum. So if this is for a full time, you can say, okay, great. Well, you know, Chris, I'm giving you 
$4,000 above the award more, but as part of that $4,000 above award payment, I'm not going to pay leave loading. And if we were to figure out what leave loading worked out to be on 2447 per so that's the 152 hours, the 17.5% on the 152 hours per annum, it works out to be, let's just say roughly around 500 odd dollars per annum. So mm -hmm. we could confidently say that Chris, by giving you $4,000 above the award, by not giving you leave loading, and we've got that in our contracts, you're still better off overall by around $3,500. So that's the okay. basic concept of the boot. And, and I personally, with the amount of practices we audit and assess, it, it doesn't get done well at all. I would say, we used to hear the term bandied around, like buyout. Is that kind of sort of similar here? Like you're sort of making sure that the buyout isn't making someone less better off overall? That's exactly the concept of it, is that if that staff member got the award minimum rate, plus all those loadings, allowances, and provisions, they mm -hmm. can't be worse off than that above award rate you've received. So I suppose what my tips are is where we see practices get this wrong in the beginning is they don't even understand what they're contracting out of. And that's, you know, they may have done a contract three or five years ago, or the template hasn't that they've used. The contract template doesn't reflect what they do in practice. So first of all, understand what you're paying and what you're not paying. That's just such a crucial thing. And then understand what you do in practice. You know, we have a lot of managers and other staff who get paid overtime or they get paid overtime at their above award rate. And most practices think that they're not paying it at all. So it's just understanding, well, if you're not paying a big portion of overtime, because that's most likely where a better off overall test will fail, is where practices mm -hmm. are contracting out of overtime because that chews up that amount significantly. So and is there anything that we can't contract out of? Anything under the national employment standards, obviously, uh, is a big thing. So one thing I will make very clear, because I almost pick up a, a couple practices every month on this point, is the extra week annual leave for nurses. You cannot contract out of that. So that's probably a great example, but the awards allow you to contract out of five provisions. That's arrangements from when work is performed, overtime, weekend penalty rates, allowances, and annual leave loading. So they're the only five okay. things that, that can be contracted out of. Okay, so George, it sounds like there are like a hundred, a thousand tips and tricks to actually getting all of this right as far as HR is concerned. It is complex. The award structure is complex in itself mm. too. Do you have some practical tips to help practices with managing their award compliance and any other tools that you could offer that will help with all of this too? Of course. And, you know, we love a good little resource. What Where we start with Anywhere is just having a nice, simple spreadsheet. Anyone can open up an Excel document and there's just a few little things you want to have in there to, to use as a live document that you every year update when you do your wage reviews or performance reviews. And it's as simple as having your employee's name when they commence, if they've got signed contracts on file, that's a very big point to track. And then you want to go through and start, well, are they full-time, part-time and casual? and get that right because that's the starting point of establishing what rates you need to pay. And then you wanna have their classification levels and that's looking at reading the full description under the award. It's not just looking at the pay guides you see and putting people at the level that best matches what you think it is. It's actually going through and classifying staff correctly. And then in one simple column, have what the award rate is and then what you're actually paying. And that there is the base foundation. If you get those simple concepts wrong, 
anything from an allowance, entitlement side and penalty rate will then just be a big ripple effect and, and habit. So I personally feel that if practices can do that, and we've got a really, we're always happy to share that nice little spreadsheet with, with anyone. It is a really good and simple resource. And then as mentioned, whenever you do your reviews, keep it up to date, use it, share it with the directors, share it with practices to then have as a resource to manage your minimum levels and provisions under the award. So we have some audience questions that I'd like to pose to you. Jamie from Sydney actually asked about where do you find out what I need to do and how to stay up to date with everything to with HR. Yeah, perfect. And um, oh, that's, well, I'm going to be sort of devil's advocate. We've got really great resources and great. I've heard of this new great podcast that's really good for that too. <laughs> from a HR point, I think one thing everyone should do is actually register to the commission um, so you go the Fair Work website and actually register because their their body there is to educate and that's the that's why you have it. So if you haven't got a, a profile for updates, um, make sure you go to the fairwork.gov.au website and, and make an account because you'll get live updates from that side. But industry specialists like ourselves, and it's not it's not that plug, but it's, we spend so much time and energy to deliver good and relevant content that's dedicated to private practice. I think dealing with anyone that's industry specific is a big point because there's a lot of irrelevant information out there too that applies to a lot of other industries. So I think starting off with the commission is a great point and then picking your industry sort of specialist to, to get your live updates from. But the commission has great resources and templates that, that practices can use. Fantastic. And we have one more question. We've got Barb from Western Queensland. Her question is, do you see anything different in HR between city practices and regional and remote practices, both from a legal and a payroll sense, but also practice culture? Yeah. Look, I'm quite fortunate because we've got a lot of clients that are both metropolitan and rural or regionally based. And, you know, we've spent a lot of time out in rural and regional practices supporting them. And I think just having the access to good advice and someone to come and sit down with you in some of the regional rural areas is a big lack. Like we, we spend a lot of energy trying to get out to as many practices and I'm always on the road going out as far as we can because I think that link or lack of support is a big thing. But now with Zooms and everything else, it's becoming a lot more easier. But I think that has impacted a lot of compliance-based points. And I feel that in some of the more rural regional towns, it's more of a, you know, well, no, it's all good. We're all big family here and, you know, everything's all good and those rates are all correct. But then we see a lot of disputes where that breakdown in trust happens and that handshake agreement that they've had being one big family is then broken down. And, you know, that's where if people have employed family or friends in the smaller communities, it just becomes an absolute crazy, crazy situation to deal with because it's a big cultural problem. So I think now with how things have transitioned in the HR world, I think getting any relevant support, if it's in person or not, or doing proactive work is a great step. So if you can get it, attend it. Um, but then education, education's a, a big point. And I think COVID's been sort of a good thing because it's brought a lot more education available electronically. And I personally have seen a, a massive spike in a lot of our practices just joining in and, and you know, participating mm. and, and listening in. So I feel that things are getting a lot better, which in turn helps the legal compliance and, and payroll. Yeah, look, uh, great observations uh, there, George. I would say too that with these sort of handshake agreements, they're never a problem, are they, until they are. 
you know, it, it's always good until it all goes uh, belly up and, and that's when good systems and, and documentation is, is really going to be protective, both for employers as well as employees. I guess to wrap up the conversation too, I'm very keen to hear some of your hot tips around recruitment and retention of staff, as that seems to be one of yep. the really hot topic items in primary care as well. Yeah. Look, I, I was never excited by recruitment or retention. I know that sounds crazy, but, um, you know, from, from a, in, yeah, I started my backbone of what we started was HR and in industrial relations back then. So it's very compliance based, but I feel that, you know, with the exposure and time of the time we've actually spent in, in, in practically assisting, uh, the practices, one, one big point we're trying to break away from is not just treating your staff like hourly rates. And if you think about that concept for a second, it's, it's really interesting because when you go to hire someone, it's, well, we're going to give this person, you know, $28 an hour, or George, should I give this person $29 an hour? What are your, what are your thoughts? Whereas I feel, um, you know, recruitment has been terrible for everyone, you know? Um, but then it's amazing because I'll walk past practices that have massive recruitment issues and others that, you know, have people wanting to work there. So. It, 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 you have to think about, well, what are some of these practices doing so differently, except for having good culture? We've found that a lot of practices are thinking about the packages and perks they offer. And, and it's really amazing to see some of the ideas and just understanding what your staff want. And, um, and we've seen, you know, staff offering or practices offering more leave, um, increasing super to 12.5% from now, rather than waiting till 2025. Um, and you know, we're, if it's, you know, family and flex days. So if that's, you know, you can go to book week with your, your kids and, you know, we'll deduct that and have it on a sort of rotation. So we've found that a lot of practices are spending more time from both a budgetary time to figure out, well, what does that cost actually mean to us? And if we increase all these little, um, offers to our staff, are we actually going to then retain people for a longer period of time? And what's that? cost difference between us losing people and having to retrain them. So I feel that a lot of practices are being forced to think about recruitment policy or retention policies and retention offers. And, and I think we have to, we, we really do have to, like we, we are probably the only industry that can't offer, you know, flexible working arrangements. And, and that means you can't go work from home for half a day or, you know, you can't do this. So we're very limited, but you know, being able to offer a day off every Friday and having a, you know, an average period over a, over a fortnight or four week period is something we can do. And I think little changing the way we think about, um, you know, engaging our staff and the perks and patching is making a recruitment a lot more attractive because then you can actually say, well, we are different and we care about our people and this is what we offer. And then from a retention point, you know, it makes your your staff who might want to leave really question if the grass is actually greener on the other side. It's really kind of brought us there through that sort of hyper-competitive space, hasn't it? That whereas yeah. in times gone past and recruitment was a little easier, practices could get away with kind of same as, same as. And now that notion of standing out from the crowd really gives practices a bit of a competitive advantage, doesn't it? 100%. I really feel it has. And that's where we need to just evolve and adapt with the times. And, and this is where we're finding a lot of practices are going to. And it, and it is making a difference by standing out. Well, speaking of evolving and coming with the times, um, first guest on our podcast as we've evolved and kept up with the times and had a podcast, 
George, where can people go to find out more information about what you do and how to get in touch with you? Of course, we, we love what we do. We're passionate about obviously helping private practices. So if anyone has any questions outside health industry EX for employmentservices.com.au, we'd happy to answer and, and have any questions. It, it's such a complex sort of structure out there with the awards, understanding what we do in practice, but we're exceptionally good at helping you put pieces together as well of your practice. And if you're worried about your employment foundations. We definitely have spent a lot of time to make it simple for, for you. If anyone has any questions, don't be afraid to ask. So thanks, Chris and Kim and Rivka. That's been great to be the first guest too. Thanks for listening to the Medicubes podcast. Make sure you subscribe via your favorite podcast listening app so you don't miss an episode. Medicubes is brought to you by Cubico, MediCoach and Medical Business Services with technical support from the awesome crew at Talking Health Tech. This podcast presents information of a general nature and we recommend that you obtain professional advice for your individual circumstances always. We'd love to hear your feedback, questions and suggestions for future topics on the show. Make sure you visit us via the Minicubes website, which you can access via the show notes of this episode. Also, if you're enjoying the show, write us a nice review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and share it with someone who might get some value from it so we can continue to share these important messages with more people. Speak to you next time.